everybody wants to finish that out, don't you? It's okay. By the way, you can have fun in church. Did you know that? Yes, you can. Remember this. Anything that's not sin is worship. And God gives us the freedom to be free. And in freedom, we can worship and we can enjoy Him and we can enjoy one another. So let's do that this morning. God, we thank You. Yes. We are in the book of Jude. By the way, I said Paul 17 times last week instead of Jude. And I've written it on every page of my notes multiple times to say the word Jude. If I say Paul, you just put in the word Jude and we'll be all be okay. All right? So here we go. So we're in the book of Jude. We're talking to him and listening to what he's having to say. And Jude begins saying, Jude, a bondservant of Christ, brother of James. He wants us to know who he is. But he doesn't really pull out his whole family tree. He could have said son of Joseph, son of Mary. He could have said half-brother of Jesus. He could have done that. But what he wanted us to know first and foremost is that, hey, I'm Jude and I am a bondservant. That means indentured to. That means in total submission to the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, he is my commander-in-chief. He's the one that guides me. And he said, you know what, guys, I really want to write to you about all the good things that we have in common through my master, Jesus. He said, but when I got to that point and I started to pin the words about how cool it was to be a child of God and about how he had made us brothers and sisters and joint heirs with Christ and all of this stuff, he said, when I got to that point, the Holy Spirit came on me. And said, don't write that. Instead, send a word of warning. Send a word of correction. Send a word of this absolutely to the point that says, Hey, there is coming in among you people who are false teachers. He said, I didn't want to write that. Because that's kind of a a buzz killer, a bummer. That's that kind of thing that, that you don't want to know. He said, but I've got to. He said, to those who are called, that's you. He said, mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. He says, I want you to have it all. I wanted to write to you about this salvation. And then he stops. And then in verse 5, so pick it up with me. Jude, verse 5, and we'll read through to verse 11. Keep in mind what he wanted to write. And now keep in mind what he's compelled by the Holy Spirit that he has to write. He says, but I want to remind you, though once you knew this, that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not keep their proper domain, but left their own abode. He has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. As Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in a similar manner to these. Having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh. Are set forth as an example suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Likewise, bless you, likewise, 
In other words, just what those angels did and just what those people at Sodom and Gomorrah did and all that those people did, he said, likewise, there's among you these dreamers who defile the flesh, reject authority, and speak evil of dignitaries. Yet Michael, now we've got our third example. We've got those things that happened in the Old Testament. We've got what's happening in the present. And then he said, I want to show you even what an angel under the submission of God does. Yet Michael, the archangel, in contending with the devil, when he disputed about the body of Moses, dared not bring against him a reviling accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these, these false teachers, these speak evil of whatever they do not know and whatever they know naturally like brute beasts. In these things they corrupt themselves. Woe to them. For they have gone in the way of Cain, have run greedily in the era of Balaam for profit, and perished in the rebellion of Korah. Father, there is so much. This passage runs deep. This passage runs wide. This passage is written to us in a time and in a moment where we need to understand that we don't need to pursue the truth as we want it, but the truth that as you've written it. God, in a day and a time, Lord, help where it seems that there's evil around us, that there's ungodliness prevailing. Lord, you've said that you've written these things for us as an example of what not to follow. You've written them for us as an example of what to follow. And God, I pray that we would have an encounter with your word that's not just informational, but transformational. And Father, I absolutely believe that that comes through the power of the Holy Spirit, the interpreter, the helper. The communicator. So Holy Spirit, we invite you into this place this morning to convict us, to correct us, to show us how to bring our lives, our homes, our church, and to be the catalyst that will bring our community under the authority of the Lord Jesus. God, that is a gift that you grant to us. We receive the gift this morning. And again, we say, Holy Spirit, you are welcome in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. God gave us this book to help us to understand the difference between what is true and what is false. It's a book that has to do with the subject of apostasy. In the first four verses, as I told you, he was giving us why he wrote the book. In verse 4, he says, the reason why I wrote it was to contend against the apostates. An apostate is one who steps away from the teaching of the Bible. He says, I want you to contend for not just faith, but the faith. What is the faith? We just did it when we read the Apostle Creed. I believe in God the Father. I believe in God the Son. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the resurrection. 
And all of those things, he says, there are going to be people that come in and they're going to tickle your ears and they're going to tell you what you want to hear and it's going to be subtle and they're going, not going to correct your course at 90 degrees, but they're going to do it at about one degree and hope that you'll walk a long way in deception. He says, they're coming. He says, I want you to be aware. He says, I want you to be open. An apostate is one who teaches, whose teaching deviates from doctrine. 1 Timothy 4.1 says, Now the Spirit speaks expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devil. The devil. He says, it's going to come to you as an attack from within. Now listen to me. An attack. When the church is being attacked from the outside. Historically, throughout history, it's made the church stronger. Because we lock arms and says, Red Rover, Red Rover, send it on over. And we don't let go. And he runs into it. And he gets knocked backwards. And the church stands up. But throughout history, the church has not done well from the attack that comes from within. Why? Because he says they're going to come in like sheep. But they're going to be sheep who, wolves who are dressed like sheep. And they're going to start talking and it's going to sound good. And they're going to start singing and it's going to sound good. And they're going to begin to tickle your ears. Because you know what? When your home's in trouble and somebody says, Oh, just do this and God will save them. And you'll do anything. Oh, your bills are due and you don't have the money. Just do this and da-da-da-da-da. And it sounds good. But, Paul, but woo, Jude said. Jude said, watch out because they are in there with you. They're coming and they're going to depart from the truth. Acts 20 verse 30, Paul did say, Also of our own selves shall men arise. Speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. Hear me. You can get food poisoning on your hand. And it will not hurt you. But if that food poisoning makes it from your hand to your mouth. And gets on the inside. Hold on. Because there's about to be an eruption. There's about to be a disruption. You're probably going to be lonely for a little while because don't anybody want to be around you? And he says, that's what's going to happen. Watch out. He says, as long as it's out there, you recognize it, you see it, you rise up, you want to fight against it, but you let it get in on the inside. We begin to teach it in the church, and there comes the destruction. Do you remember in Homer's Odyssey, Greek mythology, um, the people came to the edge of the city of Troy and they realized that there was no way that they could defeat the city. So they went back, they devised a plan, and the best I remember it is the way it happened was they went back and they built a horse and they built a horse that was hollow and then they acted like they were going to sail away and as a gift they pushed the horse up to the door but there were some people hid on the inside. They brought them inside the city and when everybody was asleep they got out of the horse, they opened the gates and they beat and defeated the city of Troy. That's what Jude is telling us Satan's going to do. He says he's going to put a Trojan horse at the door. You're going to think he's left. You're going to think he's departed. You're going to think there's no more threat. 
He's going to step away. You're going to relax. You're going to go, boy, that looks nice. Let's pull it inside. And at the moment you pull it in, they're going to step out, open the gate, and we'll be defeated. Mount Zion Baptist Church, we must stand on doctrine. We must stand on truth. So what does he teach us? First of all, I believe that he teaches us the characteristics of false teaching. So let's go back to verse 5. I want to remind you. Now, why would he remind us? Because if he will remind us, there's some things that we will understand. And George Santayana said this. Those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it. He says, I want to tell you some things that happened back there. I want to give you some examples of things that went on so that when you see them, you won't be unaware. When you see them, you won't be fooled, but you'll be going, whoa, wait a minute. It will be deja vu all over again. You're going to go, I've been here. I've seen it. What happened? Oh, I remember. The children of Israel did this. Oh, the prophet did that. If they did that, they failed, they faltered. And if I do it, then I also will fail and I also will falter. So he says, remember, I want to remind you though, once you knew this, that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. Hear me. Just because you've had an experience with God, just because you can look back in your past and say, I one time walked with God, that is not a guarantee that you will be walking in the fellowship and under the power of the Holy Spirit for the rest of your life. You need to hear that. Born again? Yes. Child of God? No question. But it is a daily surrender. It's a daily sacrifice. And if you can live your life without the conviction of sin, and if you can live your life without the confession of sin, then you need to go back and remember some things back there. You need to remember that moment that God helped you to realize that you were a sinner. You need to remember that moment that He opened your eyes and let you see that without Him you would be separated from Him eternally. And that you cried out and said, Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sin. Lord Jesus, come into my heart and be my Redeemer. Save me from myself. Remember that. And once you remember that, you need to then, what the Scripture says, take up your cross daily. You need to pick it up and say, God, yes, there was one time that I died to sin for all of eternity. But today, I die to sin again. I die to myself. I die to my flesh. I die to my selfishness and my self-centeredness. I die to my narcissism. I die to, to thinking that my way is better than your way. Have you ever put your way ahead of God's way thinking it was better? And found out, no it's not. But Satan is a crafty one. Because for just a moment he will let you think you are large and in charge. And then the bottom falls out. He says, remember these children of Israel. He delivered them, but they got along the way and they began to complain and they began to get envious and they began to gripe and they began to do all of these things and ultimately it led to unbelief. And an entire generation of people 
had to die before the children of Israel could enter the promised land. Is your family in the wilderness? Is your life in the wilderness? Are you in those moments where you think, how long does this have to go on? Could it be that you have become deceived and you're living in the sin of unbelief? Oh, not just gross sin. Maybe not. Maybe it's just unbelief. Maybe it's just you're not at the place where you can take God for His Word. He says, be aware, remember, but keep going. Because He says, afterwards He destroyed those who do not, did not believe. And the angels, he says, this is what happens to humanity that does not believe, who steps away from doctrine. But then he says, this is what happens to the angels who do not believe and step away from the doctrine. And the angels who did not keep their proper domain, but left their own abode. Where would their abode have been? In heaven, with God, serving Him, worshiping. He has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. That's a reference to the second coming. When Jesus comes and he will judge the quick and he will judge the dead. He says these angels, they're in bondage until that day where they will be eternally condemned, separated, and face the fierce judgment of hell. But then he goes on, he says, as for the judgment of the great day. And then he says, what would it be like? He says, as Sodom and Gomorrah. And the cities around them, in a similar manner to these, having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh, are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Jude is telling us, do not ever forget to remember the things of old. Because I've given them to you. I've recorded them. You are without excuse. You can read them. And you know what happened to those people. And I'm telling you that through the blood of Christ, the indwelling Holy Spirit, that you can live the sanctified life set apart for me. You don't have to be deceived. It's good to hear new things. I love to discover new things. But it is also good to go back and remember old things. Old things that guide us to solid doctrinal truth. Jude begins with a desire to remind us of what's important. And he gives us the example. He says the Exodus. In fact, let's just go back. I think that would be helpful. Let's go back to the book of Numbers. I can tell you about it, but let's just go to Numbers 14. Numbers 14, and we'll read in verse 34. They didn't believe God's promise of the promised land. And it says, according to the number of days which you spied out the land, 40 days, for each day you shall bear your guilt one year, namely 40 years, and you shall know my rejection. I, the Lord, have spoken this. I will surely do so do so to all this evil congregation who are gathered together against me. In the wilderness they shall be consumed, and there they shall die. Now the men 
whom Moses sent to spy out the land, who returned and made all the congregation complain against him by bringing a bad report of the land. Those very men who brought the evil report about the land died by the plague before the Lord. But Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, remained alive of the men who went to spy out. He says, remember that. I had made a promise. I had given a direction. I had said, even back to Moses, surely you will worship God on this mountain. And it was there for them. And God sent the 12 spies in. And 10 came back and said, we can't. Two said, we could. The people complained. The people griped. The people said, it would have been better for you to leave us back there. He says, don't forget. I have made a promise to you. He says, I have made the promise to not leave you. I have made the promise to not forsake you. I have made the promise to sanctify you. I have made the promise to set you apart. I have made the promise to provide your every need. I have promised to give you peace that passes understanding. He goes on and he goes on. He says, I, God, have made this promise to you. Don't forget it. As an example, these people forgot. Look what happened. Don't you forget so that you don't have to live your life in the wilderness. We have people come to us all the time and say, My life is here. What's going wrong? Do you? And it ultimately comes back to, Are you ready to surrender and to submit to the will of the Lord Jesus Christ? Jude says, Don't forget that exodus. Then he says, Don't forget about those angels. He tells us that in, again in verse 6. Now, really and truly, honestly, nobody really knows what he means here. Because this is one of those odd and vague references in Scripture. And there are a lot of theories and a lot of smart people that have different, different ideas. But I think most agree with this. That it would go back to Exodus 14. When Satan does not want to just enjoy the benefits of being with God. But he ultimately wants to become like God. And when he does that, he rebels. And God says, you can't live in my house and rebel. There's some good parenting technique right there. By the way... He says, you can't live in my house and be in open rebellion. So I tell you what, do. You're going to have to pack your bags and get out of here. And Satan said, I tell you what, I'm out of here. And it says that a bunch of angels followed him. So when we get to that passage, when we begin to understand it, that's what's going on. He says, remember, when you rebel, you break fellowship. And the angels who did not keep their proper domain but left their own abode. He has reserved in everlasting chains under the darkness for the judgment of the great day. Now listen to me. If there are a group of angels that he says are chained, then that has to be by implication that there are a group of angels that are unchained. How do we know that? Because Satan, I mean, because Jesus encountered them while he was here on earth. And if you are a child of God, you cannot be demon-possessed. Okay? Jesus lives in your heart. You cannot be demon-possessed. But you hear me. As a child of God, you can be demon-oppressed. And you say, what does that mean? You can give your mind over to false teaching. You can give your lifestyle over to to immorality and ungodly living. And you can be living as one who does not know God, even though you can be a child of God. Now I'm going to tell you this. When you're a child of God, 
and you step out from under the protection of God's grace and His goodness, you're oppressed. When you become the Lord of your life, the master of your destiny, the one who's controlling the direction, when you step out from under that lordship of Christ and into the oppression, demonic oppression, there's no more miserable place in the entire world. That was a testimony, not a teaching. That's a child of God who left home at 18 and decided that my way was better than God's way. And rock bottom, while I'm thankful for it today, was a place and a lifestyle that I don't ever want to be again. You say, well, how do you get back? contrite heart Lord I've sinned against you Lord I've sinned against humanity God I have been trying to run my life Lord I want to come back under you I want to do it your way no matter what and he says then when you do that there's peace when you do that there's rest when you do that there's victory when you do that he says and my God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory. He says that all things work together for the good of those who love the Lord, who are called according to his purpose. You say, my past can be used for the future and God can do good with it? Yes, he can. Doesn't mean it's going to be good, but he can step into your life right where you are and he can bring meaning and purpose to the past. He says, the Exodus remembered. He says, the angels remember it. And when you encounter those unchained demons, the agents of Satan, when you encounter them, he says, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. You do not have to give in. You can overcome. In fact, if you read in Scripture, it only says occasionally to lie down and rest, but over and over and over again, it says, wake up, get up, dress up, and stand up for the cause of the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, march forward. He gave you armor that helps you to face the enemy. He gave you the Holy Spirit that emboldens you. And Satan wants to make us think we're weak, we're wimpy, and easily defeated. He says, remember the exodus. He says, remember the angels. He says, remember Sodom and Gomorrah. He's given us examples of false teaching. He's giving us examples of wanting to do it our way. He's giving us examples of disbelief. And then when he gives us the example of Sodom and Gomorrah. He says there's sexual immorality. There is an, an attraction. There's a drawing to. There's a normalizing. There is a... in some ways approval of things that God has drawn boundaries around and said, do not step inside that circle. He says they gave themselves over to strange flesh. What does that mean? It means that men began to pursue men. It means that they were not just in the idea of fornication, meaning sex outside of marriage. 
But if you remember, inside the city, when the men, two men, the angels, came into the city, and Lot locked them inside the house, and the men were outside hollering, let them out, we want them. Let them out, we want them, meaning in a strange and unnatural way. Lot said, I tell you what I'd rather do. Before I'll send these men out there to you, who did he send? He sent his daughters. Now listen to me. That is a strange flesh. That is a strange way of thinking. Because I doubt there's any man in here that would say, I tell you what, I'm just going to send my daughter out there for you to rape and pillage and most likely murder. You better hear me. We are not far from those days. Did you read in the news this week that this family sold two of their children, one of them six months old, three months old, I don't remember right now, but very, very young for $600 into sex trafficking. You better be awake. You better listen. You better be bold. You better be looking and saying that the enemy has already gotten inside the gate. And the church better girl up, man up, whatever up you need to do. We better up because he is powerful, but he is not all powerful. And God says if we will submit ourselves to him, if we will live under the umbrella and the authority of the Holy Spirit, that we can overcome the world. And let me tell you, when three and six months old children need to be sold into, or are sold into sex trafficking, it is not time to sit back and say, oh, it'll pass. A virus passes. Terminal cancer destroys. We don't have a virus. We have terminal cancer. He says, I want you to remember this. I want you to remember. And you look around, there's deviant behavior. Look at what's happening in the news right now. Movie producers have been enabled to take young women and vulnerable people and say, I'm powerful, I can do this. And people knew it and they did not speak up. In fact, um, Tarantino spoke up this week. I did not know everything, but I knew enough to say something. We need to be there. We need to remember. Because the false teachers will come in. And you say, well, that's just a, an earthly thing. But no, but they come in and they teach. And then people begin to believe that they can depend on something other than the Lord Jesus Christ to provide them hope and salvation. And the ultimate judgment is hell. Eternal separation. So we've got, if we look at it from an outline standpoint, we've got the characteristics of false teaching. There's disbelief. There's pride. There's deviant behavior. What is the cause of false teaching? Go to verse 8. He says it here. He says to us, Likewise, also these dreamers defile the flesh, reject authority, and speak evil of dignitaries. He gave us three things. He says, these are the causes of it. They love depravity. They defile the flesh. It means to pollute, sully, contaminate, soil. 
It speaks of a, a physical defiling of the flesh. And I want to tell you, closeness to Christ is directly linked to conviction of, and confession of sin. You say, oh, I'll just step out a little bit and I'll be okay. And for a season you may. But the more steps you take, even if you're just a little bit off the path, when you get on out there, you're a long ways away from where you ought to be. And I'm going to say it again. If you can live your life without the conviction of sin, if you can live your life without daily feeling the need to have confession of sin, you need to go back and say, what happened? Where is it going? Ultimately, you probably ought to ask the question, am I born again? Secondly, you should probably ask the question, if I'm born again, how did I get out from under the umbrella of the Lordship of Christ? Because it happens in a most subtle of ways. He says, they love depravity. They reject authority. If you're following someone and you think that God has placed them into your life as a spiritual leader, look and see where is their accountability. Who do they answer to? If they're a parachurch organization, if they're an evangelist or a ministry you see off, of, off on TV or hear about or follow or read, look and see, do they have a board of directors? If they have a board of directors, do they submit to them? When you're inside the church, do we have a submission of authority? Yes, we do. We have deacons in our church. We have committees in our church. We have structure in our church that says... Where are you going? Why are you going there? We meet often as a staff to say, why are we doing this or why are we not doing that? We have open lines of communication where you as church members can come to us and have conversation with us. And I want to tell you, if you're in leadership, there's a, difference between, there's a difference between being asked a question and being questioned. When somebody comes to you, and they ask you a question and you immediately jump to the defensive. Immediately you feel like you're being attacked. Then you need to say, wait a minute, am I under authority? It's not wrong to be asked. It's not wrong to have to give a defense. Remember that. He says, they reject authority. They love depravity. They commit blasphemy. Go back to verse 9 and 10. It says, Yet Michael the archangel, in contending with the devil, when he disputed about the body of Moses, dared not bring against him a reviling accusation. He said, But the Lord rebuke you. Michael the archangel, the, like the head angel, he did not feel like he could speak outside of the authority of God, even though he probably had that authority. He said, No, it's in the power not by might nor by power but by my spirit says the lord of hosts and you say well what is blasphemy help me understand that blasphemy is speaking profanely about sacred matters so let's go back yet michael the archangel contending with the devil when he disputed about the body of Moses. 
What does that mean? God, Moses was such a powerful and an influential leader in the life of the people of Israel that God did not want Moses to have a grave because his fear was that the people would, every time they got into trouble, would not turn to God Almighty, but they would run to the grave of Moses, and the grave of Moses would become a place of idol worship. And so he sent Michael to take care of Moses' body. Well, Satan didn't want that. Satan wanted the other side of it, so there became a war. And I can't explain all of this to you, but it's God, and he's God, and he can do it because he wants to, and that's when you need to say amen. Because he's God. All right? I can't explain it. But I can tell you it happened because the book tells me it does. So there was a confrontation. And Michael, sent by God under the authority of God, could have reached and taken that body and done what he wanted to. But to teach us, as an example, he said, I tell you what, Satan, the Lord rebuke you. That's what we need to remember. It's his power is his might we don't need to commit blasphemy we need to speak under the authority of scripture scripture we don't need to speak profanely about sacred matters we need to be offended when speak, people speak profanely about sacred matters do not become desensitized to the point that you do you ever go to plugged in by the way plugged in online do you know what that is If you're a child of God and you like cinematic features, before you watch a movie, you need to go into Plugged In Online. When you read on Plugged In Online, how many times they say GD? How many times they drop the F-bomb? How many times they make references to that are degrading to females? Or how many times they do this and this and this? And if there's not a check in your spirit by the Spirit of God... And I'm telling you, if there's not a check there, then you may be blaspheming sacred things. I didn't tell you not to go to the movie. Don't leave here and say, Lord, he's then turned it into an occult. No! I just said, as a child of God, guard the property of God that was purchased by the blood of God on the cross at Calvary so that you would not have to be separated from him for all of eternity. I live transparent, sometimes too transparent. But I want to tell you this. That has not always been my practice. I would go, I'd be entertained, and it was good, and I would walk out and say, well, they only said da-da-da-da-da as many times as I said Paul rather than Jude last week. I do believe we need to wake up. We need to begin to see that just quietly he slips in unaware. What are the consequences of false teaching? We're wrapping it up. Foolish disobedience. What does it say? Let's go back down here. 
the Lord rebuke you, but these speak evil of whatever they do not know, and whatever they know naturally, the brute beast, and these things they corrupt themselves. Verse 11 says, Woe to them. How horrible it will be for them is what it means. They've gone the way of Cain. Instead of obeying God, Cain invented his own form of worship. He was religious but disobedient. And when God did not accept his offering, he responded in jealous anger and killed his brother. There is foolish disobedience. There is improper devotion. You run greedily in the era of Balaam. Reader's Digest version of the story of Balaam. Balak, the king, wanted to um, Balaam, the prophet, to speak a curse on the nation of Israel. And he laid a little cash on the table. And Balaam thought, man, I like the cash. And so what he did is he devised a scheme that would trick the people of Israel into idolatry. And when they got into idolatry as the prophet, he could speak a curse on them. And so he's left his meeting with the king and he's headed towards the people of Israel. And on the path as he's got his donkey behind him, and the donkey is walking and doing what donkeys do. All of a sudden the donkey stopped. Balaam didn't like that the donkey stopped. So Balaam took his stick and he hit the donkey. And they walked on a little bit further. And the donkey stopped. In fact, he says he pushed him up against the wall and crushed his foot. And he took his stick and he beat the donkey. And they walked a little bit further and finally the donkey just laid down. And the scripture says that God opened Balaam's eyes and he saw the angel. And the angel presented to him. And ultimately Balaam said, I've sinned. God will put blocks in your life. God will bring up things in your life to get your attention. But when we have decided to live our own way, we ignore them. We walk on past them. And it will lead to certain destruction in our lives. The last one is this, um, improper devotion, I'm sorry. Then the last one is certain destruction. And he uses as an example there, um, Korah, the Korites, the Korathites. That's in number 16. Korah did not like that Moses was getting all the attention. So he raised up a rebellion against Moses. And ultimately this is what happened. In his rebellion and deciding to do it his own way. Korah and 250 of his men were swallowed up. 250 people were swallowed up in the ground. It led to his destruction. Your sin will lead to destruction. The tolerance of false teaching will lead to destruction. Foolish disobedience leads to improper devotion, which leads to certain destruction. Jude is writing to the church. He says, hear me. Remember back there. Look at right now. And what is the remedy? The conviction and the confession of sin 
lead, a contrite heart leads to conviction and confession of sin. And God says when we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I believe that God in this day and time wants to get our attention. He wants to speak to our heart. But I believe that Satan, knowing his days are numbered, he is ramping up the effort to distract us, to inundate us with information, to take us and have us looking over here and looking over there and looking over there and saying, what about that and what about that and what about that and what about that and what about that? And God says, you don't have to understand all of that if you will just understand me and I will guide you to truth. Submission to the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Today as a church, as individuals, as the body of Christ, Jude wonderfully warned us, revival without the conviction of sin is only an emotional gathering of people. 